Hello, welcome to Psychology Concepts Explained. This is your host, Dr. Jack Chuang, and thanks for listening to my podcast today. Uh, if you're new, you should check out my um, catalog of psychology lectures that I normally use for class, as well as more recent episodes where I talk about a lot of different subjects that relate to psychology. So today is going to be one of them. All right. So uh, I'm a psychology instructor. I teach for a couple of colleges in Washington State. I used to teach for quite a few, at least four part-time. And before that, I was a full-time instructor for 10 years at a community college outside of Houston. And uh, so in all, I think I've been teaching for over 20 years now. If I count graduate school as a teaching assistant, a teaching fellow, that's even more. But who's counting? Anyway, thanks for joining me today. Uh, just a quick reminder that however you're listening to this podcast, in the app you have, there should be a follow or subscribe button. I know everybody uses that phrase, so please do that. Uh, in Spotify specifically, I know a lot of my listeners are using Spotify, there is an actual toggle notification uh, button so that if you switch that on, then you'll be notified whenever a new episode of this podcast drops. I do that in my own podcasting app that I use for listening, and it's helpful. So when the new episode shows up, I don't have to go hunting for them. I can just decide right there through a shortcut, a notification shortcut, whether I want to you know, add it to my queue or just uh, dismiss it and so forth. Hopefully, my podcasts are interesting enough that you would choose not to dismiss them. I shouldn't have given you that choice but just to listen to them at your leisure. Okay, and also that um, I'm trying to remind folks now in my podcast that at the very bottom of the description, there's a link that you can actually leave me a voice message, whether it's a question, comment, or feedback, uh, and know that if you use it, I may use it as uh, in a future episode, especially when I collect more listener mail and questions, I will include in those episodes or tag it at the end of other episodes. I'm still figuring this out, as you can tell. All right, let's get going. Today's topic, and, and you should have seen the title, it's a little bit misleading, but it's partially true. College is where you should cheat. Okay, what the heck does he mean by that? All right, so today's subject is academic integrity. Now, I actually like this phrase as opposed to the phrase academic dishonesty, because it's focused on the positive. As an instructor and only teaching online for over 10 years, I know that there's an assumption that taking an online class just makes it easier for students to cheat. And the data has proven that especially post-pandemic, because what's happened is that in the past, students would choose to take an online class for whatever reason, for convenience, um, that it fits their schedule. And the predominant number of students know what they're getting into. But now, because of the pandemic and a lot of courses move to remote, I think a lot of students do not know what to expect. They're not the what I call the traditional online college student. They're those who are used to taking classes face-to-face -face and suddenly 
you're taking class online. Anyway, so the reason this has come up as a topic for me, even though this is something I think about a lot, is that I recently attended a virtual conference. And first of all, let me just tell you that as a full-time online instructor, meaning that that's all I teach. I'm not a full-time instructor, but I only teach online. It is it has been difficult to do what's called professional development, attend conferences, especially when I lived overseas, obviously, to go to Seattle or go to Texas or go to wherever that has a regional con national conference. It has been challenging. So I rely on these online ones, which were not very common, but of course, post-COVID, everything's moved online, and I was able to attend this one with the support of my college. Thank you. Highline College, I appreciate that. So I attended the ICAI annual conference. ICAI stands for the International Center for Academic Integrity. So if I refer to the phrase AI in this episode, I'm referring to academic integrity, not artificial intelligence. So this is basically what I learned from the ICAI camp. <laughs> okay, I'll call it a conference. It's very professional. And they had apparently the most attendees ever. So maybe moving online help with that. I know I that's the only way I can attend because of the way I teach and uh, not being of, uh, you know, in the location where my college is located. Okay, so I'm not going to go through in great detail what the conference covered. I'm going to talk mostly about my own takeaways from it, my own big picture. Um, but I'll just highlight a few points that I learned from the conference and uh, and also talk about why you should care as students and why you should care maybe as an instructor as well. All right, so here's some general points. First of all, there's a distinction between the terms academic integrity and academic dishonesty. So academic integrity really is talking about the notion that this is part of our character it's not just about our actions as a student taking a course and how we take exams and do papers honestly, but the idea in promoting academic integrity is to make the point to students, and I agree with this philosophy, that this is a reflection of who you are as a person, okay, in terms of your integrity in your personal relationships, at your job, when you file taxes, <laughs> okay, because cheating in one will lead to cheating in others. And that's what I firmly believe in based on my experience of being a psychology instructor. Okay. Now, academic dishonesty is focused on the actions that are prohibited right, as a student. And every college and university has their code of student conduct that I think most students do not read. And it lists in great detail what's considered cheating. And a big focus of this conference based on the uh, sessions that I attended was something called contract cheating. Now, I knew what it was, but I didn't know the term, uh, oddly enough, even though it seems like most instructors and people working at colleges know, so I'm a little bit uh, embarrassed about that. But it's called contract cheating, meaning that students outsource their work, right? Whether it's downloading essays, um, having someone else write their essays, do their tests through essay mills, they call them, or file sharing, or just getting a hand-me-down exam from a cousin, uh, or uploading questions and getting answers from 
a variety of these websites. Some of the big ones are Course Hero, Chegg, Quizlet, amongst others. Now, to be sure, I'm sure that, and I don't know them very well, but I'm sure many of these websites have very legitimate study tools, right? But it's very clear that a lot of their business is about uh, paying students for uh, uploading exams and assignments and uh, allowing other students to search for them and basically getting these answers. So a lot of in this conference, they talked a lot about practical solutions from the instructor's point of view, how to design a class in a way that secures your exam, makes it less likely for students to get away with cheating, right? All the way down to using proctoring or webcams or special lockdown browsers, right? And I've used all of those before, and I really don't like the surveillance tools. I feel like if I were a student, that would just add another layer of anxiety, and and it just reinforces the idea that institutions don't trust you, right? So there are a lot of these high-tech approaches to try to police or catch cheating, okay? Uh, let me talk a little bit about reasons why students engage in this behavior and this is actually going to be a discussion assignment for my students okay uh, in some of my classes where i want them to explore what they think it is as well first of all i want to acknowledge that for many students they probably don't know it's wrong whether it's copying and pasting um, whether it's using old materials whether it's um, Googling during a test, right? So I think a lot of this has to be responsibility placed on the instructor for laying out very clear guidelines of what is or what isn't allowed because depending on the student's own personal experience and the types of schools they've been to, the types of classes they've taken, a lot of these rules may not be consistently expressed of what is correct and what's not. And also, we live in a copy-paste culture. We live in an era of social media where we share things all the time without really citing sources. You know, who does that, right? Is, you know, pet peeve of mine, there, there are some Twitter accounts out there. I'm not going to name them. But they pass along information as if they're fact or they'll, whether it's passing around quotes or psychology says this but no attribution not even which theorist it belongs to in psychology right so i think when we see that over and over again it gives the students and young people the message that hey this is just normal this is just how we do things the information out there on the web so why can't we just use it so i think first of all there are some things that students may not know that is technically wrong to do for assignments and um, a concept that was brought up at the conference was that students may be morally disengaged right meaning that uh, because a student might perceive that oh everybody gets away with it in Dr. Chuang's class so why should I do more work when other people aren't so there's a perception that there's a culture of cheating right or they may feel like colleges are like faceless corporations set up to rip you off. And so it's justifiable to do whatever is necessary to get your degree. 
That is, why put in all this work when these colleges aren't? And sure, if, an, if you perceive as a student that an instructor doesn't seem to care in your class, then why should you care? You know, that, that kind of makes sense. So there's this battle going on between um, instructors and colleges and these contract cheating websites like Chegg and Course Hero and Quizlet. You know, they do all sorts of things. You know, instructors will send takedown notices. Um, we have, we'll copy and paste our exam questions or student essays into the web and see what comes up, right? And sometimes looking for your own content, instructor's content in these websites, like test questions you've written. Okay, so in the end, though, I think there was a healthy discussion in this conference about where do we put our energy? Do we focus it on creating better classes, engaging the students into learning, rather than battle these tech giants and try to take them down, right? These companies are profitable for a reason. And so we need to acknowledge that um, that this is going to be there, that they're likely going to be there no matter how hard we fight them. So it's a struggle between, for myself as an instructor, how much energy do I pour into designing a very fun and engaging class that may have multiple choice quizzes and may have a discussion or written assignments, yet students may be tempted to use shortcuts? You know, and how much time should I spend securing my quizzes to try to wonder if this essay was copied or not, or how well are my students using references? Hello, friends. Let me take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Let me talk to you a little bit about searching for happiness or trying to achieve goals. And oftentimes, life and circumstances and other reasons get in the way. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with your therapist within 48 hours. And it's not a crisis hotline, okay? And it's not self-help. It's actual professional counseling, but it's done securely online. You have access to BetterHelp's network of over 20,000 counselors with a wide variety of expertise and training. And this is also about accessibility, if you don't have a counselor in your area to see in person, then this could be a great solution for you. So this service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. So again, accessibility. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as in traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so, and they make it easy and free if you want to change counselors if necessary. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash psych explained and join the over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced mental health professionals. 
And there's a special offer for my Psychology Concepts Explained listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash psychexplained. You can see the link in the show notes. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. Anyway, so there's a whole bunch of stuff out there, um, and it's a confusing issue because there's so many layers involved. It's not just the instructor designing the class and the test and the students taking the class, but there are administrators, the whole college in general, right, trying to combat this. And as an instructor, do I report students to the next level, right? Every college has a department for student affairs or student conduct or academic integrity, whatever their label is. And it's almost like you're going to court to prove whether or not you're innocent or guilty. And that just leaves a very poor taste in my mouth in terms of just feeling like a student in a college has to deal with this, right? Um, Because I feel like college is where you should be making mistakes as a student, you shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes and learn from them, right, before you head out as a graduate into the professional world. So you represent your college, you represent the instructors you've taken, right, you take their reputations with you into the working world, okay? So if you're working as a nurse, right, this can be reflected in the reports you make. Do you take shortcuts, right? Um, so it's not just about your skills, but it's about your integrity as a person, going through this educational process. I'll give you a couple examples. A long time ago, I taught for a university in Houston. Um, well, it's the University of Houston at Clear Lake, okay? So it was one of their branch campuses. And I had the opportunity to for them to teach a few master's level courses, okay? So these are students who are on their path to getting a master's in psychology, future therapists, future researchers, etc. And I would give these assignments. Normally in graduate school, you don't have that many multiple choice tests. You do more writing assignments and put together a research paper, right? And there were a handful of students, literally four to five, who chunks of paragraphs were just taken from the original source, linked together, and and they cobbled together a 12 to 15 page paper based on chunks taken from articles, right? So it's really obvious that's a... That's plagiarism. You don't just block quote. They didn't even use quotes, but even with references, that's just not how you write a paper. So I had a meeting with all these students to talk about this and individually, and I asked them, you know, at this level, you know, why did you write the paper as you did? You just, Did you just not have time? Did you, you know, what was really the reason? And to the person, they told me, and I believed them, that they said no one ever told them that this kind of writing was wrong. Right? So I was very disappointed to hear that. And and so I took a lot of time. I didn't send them to, you know, court, you know, <laughs> at the college, at the university. I basically sat them down. And I said, okay, here are the basics. This is how you need to write a research paper. From the beginning paragraph to the last paragraph, this is your voice. You're trying to create a narrative. You're telling a story, but the story is 
supported by the existing research, and that's where all those references come in. So I talked about paraphrasing, and paraphrasing the right way, not just, you know, re-altering or altering the sentences, you know, restructuring the sentences, rather, to to avoid copying and pasting, right? That's really a poor form of paraphrasing. So, so yeah, I mean, that was a case that really shocked me, that these were future professionals a semester or two away that did not know the basics of plagiarism and citing sources correctly. Okay. My own experience as an undergraduate at the University of Texas, I almost got in deep trouble there because there was an experimental psychology course we took, and we had a study group, right? And, and in my study group, we were really good students. We were just working hard, really into the course, and we were supposed to put together a research paper, and we asked a teaching assistant whether or not it's okay to write these two sections up front uh, together as a group. And then we write our later sections individually because those are more important in our mind. They were the results and conclusions. And the teaching assistant said, oh, that's not a problem. So the, I believe it was three of us. We wrote the, uh, I think it was mostly the methodology section together because that's more nuts and bolts, you know, that kind of thing. It's not really opinion. It's just procedure. So we wrote that part together, and the, and the instructor did not know that we got this approval, called us into his office, and was very upset that what he perceived were very good students were actually cheating. And we had the opportunity to rewrite because the teaching assistant did back us up that she made that decision. But you know what we lost was that even though we technically won that argument, what we lost was the professor's trust that as an undergraduate, I'm going to talk about this in the next podcast about applying to graduate school. You know, you want as many professors to know you as a person, to remember you when you've taken their class, that they can therefore write a strong recommendation for you when you apply for graduate schools. And I was counting on this professor who was fairly well-known and well-respected, and we worked extra hard in this particular course, and I want to impress this professor. And I've totally lost that opportunity, right? Even though we were technically in the right, it was a poor decision on our part. And so even though you, if you did not intend on cheating, so to speak, and I really don't like that term, but intend on taking shortcuts, oftentimes the consequences are still there. Okay? Um, so what I would advise is that you channel your energies as a student into the resources that are part of the course. In other words, you paid for it, right? So before you make that decision to go outside of the course into a new browser tab and searching online, Googling things, right? Try to resist that urge to copy and paste, okay? It takes a lot of courage to put your own writing out there. So I think it's up to us instructors to create a safe environment for students to be willing to expose themselves in that way. It's like, okay, here it is. This is how I write. Okay? And that's really hard to do because, you know, you want to prove that you belong. You want to um, show that you can do good work. You want to make a good impression with your instructor. You might be embarrassed about your writing 
or if you're an international student, your writing is not as strong. You might think your writing is not that strong or your grammar is not very good or vocabulary and therefore you want to lean on, you know, copying and pasting from the book or from other sources. And I would just tell my students, and this is my last section of the podcast here, and I'm going to call this section uh, From Chegg to Chuang, right? This is my From Chegg to Chuang initiative here. And this is what I want to do. The, my goal as an instructor, and I encourage other instructors who may be listening, to create engaging, supportive, supportive learning environments in their courses, right? And I try to do that, and I will keep trying to do that. It's not just through what you post in your course, but it's also in the emails that you send to your students. It's in the communication. Since we're not face-to-face, and I can just stand there and talk casually 10 minutes about a certain subject, frequent emails, I feel like, are needed, okay? And I don't expect my students to write in a very polished way, right? In fact, when you do write in an overly polished way, your instructors will be suspicious, okay? So I'm not saying that if you do write very well to dumb down your writing or to reduce the, you know, eloquence of it, but try to speak from your own voice. I would rather students, when they're struggling, okay, and this is for you who are taking my classes, I want your first initial reaction is, I need to approach Dr. Truong about this, okay? Instead of, I need to search online to see if I can find an answer to this question. We have tutors. We have writing centers. You paid your tuition, right? So why not put that money to work? Use the resources that you paid your hard-earned money for, okay? So my bottom line is that, yes, college is where you should be making these mistakes and to learn from them, okay? I prefer not to pursue punishments for my students, only as a last resort. I mean, if there is an intentional, organized group out there that are just spending all their time searching online for my test questions and passing them back and forth or passing them down to relatives, you know, or having a coordinated effort taking quizzes around the same time, you know, that kind of thing, then of course, you know, you're toast, okay? You're, you're doing this intentionally. It's not even a borderline case. You know, you're, you're intending to get through the class without really doing any honest work, okay? And I don't, I'm realistic. I don't, expect students to finish my course and be psych majors and to know every theorist there is in psychology, right? I just expect students to walk away with the course with some fundamentals and with a few ideas that they could use in their everyday lives or in their professional life. That's why I believe psychology is a great course and why it's a required course for students uh, of any major in our schools. Okay, so that's it. That's my final message, from Chegg to Chuang. Okay, I'm going to use that in my classes from now on. Um, unless Chegg asked me not to do that for copyright reasons, but I don't see why they would do that anyway. <laughs> okay, folks, I hope this was uh, enough information for you to, to think about, and I will talk to you in the next podcast.
Hey there, thanks for listening to this podcast today. Can you do me a big favor? Um, just so that this podcast gets heard by more students of psychology and other people interested in the field, uh, go to Apple Podcasts and put a little rating there if you like and uh, a brief uh, review. Okay, And you can also contact me directly using the links in the description, whether it's Twitter or email, with any suggestions or feedback that you may have to make the show better. And uh, if there are any topics you want me to talk about, I can add them. And if you want to support me by buying me a coffee, the methods are listed in the description as well. Again, thanks and have a great day.